0: Here in Colossians and the chapter 1, I really want to look with you at the last few verses that we read there. And as you read down this chapter, you'll find it's a very, very interesting chapter. Of course, we've got here Paul's epistle to the church at Colossae. Now, when I read the prayers of the Apostle Paul, one of the things you discover very quickly is that Paul was a man of God. There was an insight. And there was an intimacy in his prayers that I would love to have in my own prayer life. And it's fascinating to see here how the apostle prayed for others. You see, when we pray, so often we pray for someone who's sick to be healed or for someone who's unemployed to find a job or perhaps to give us beautiful weather when we go away on holidays. Now, all of those prayers are by no means wrong, but... It's interesting when you study the apostle that very seldom did he pray like that. Now I have no doubt that there was people in this church in Colossae who were sick, but Paul doesn't pray for anyone to be healed. Perhaps there were those there who needed a job, but he doesn't pray for anyone to get employment. Instead, Paul lifts up his prayer life from the material into the spiritual dimension. And when Paul prayed for these Colossians, He's praying for them spiritually. He's praying for their spiritual vision. He's praying for their spiritual vitality. He's praying that the Lord will come and get the victory in the lives of his people. You see, so often we pray for the mercies of God. And of course we need to. But how much more do we need the blessings of God? And Paul was concerned with how the believers at Colossae were faring in their Christian lives as believers we need to be going further we need to be growing stronger in our Christian life every day and it's very easy to sing about the lord and even to sing some of these hymns that we have in our hymn book it's easy to sing each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before but i believe sometimes too we can reverse some of these hymns i think the lord should be able to say of each one of us that is saved this morning, that we grow still sweeter than we were the day before. Well, this was the concern the Apostle has for this church at Colossae. And you'll find here as you read down this passage of Scripture we've just read, and especially these closing few verses, you have here the Apostle's prayer for this church. And when you look at this passage of Scripture, I was thinking to myself, if the Apostle Paul came along to... Indeed, Colrain Free Presbyterian Church this morning. What would the Apostle Paul pray for this congregation? What would he pray for this church? What areas would he single out and make an emphasis of his prayer to God? And I believe that in these verses you have here his prayer that yes, it's for the church at Colossae, but we could also say it's a prayer for ourselves individually and also for the very work and witness of God here generally. So as I said, I want to look with you at verses 9 to 12 and examine Paul's prayer for this church. Now the first thing I want you to notice here, that he prays for these Colossian believers, that number one, they will be led of God. They'll be led of God. Notice verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, Do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And that little word knowledge there in verse 9, it means to know from the heart, not just from the head. When the Lord saves a man or saves a woman, it's not a head knowledge he gives them, but it's a work the Lord does in the heart. For we know, for example, in Romans 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So when the Lord's going to speak to you, he speaks to your heart. So in our heart of hearts, Paul's praying that we need the leading and the very guidance of God. We need to be led by the will of God. And this is a prayer that Paul prays For the entire church. And therefore you are to be filled with the knowledge of God's will for your life. Now just pause there for a moment. Let's make it personal. Can you say this morning, if I was to ask for a show of hands this morning, could you turn around and put your hand up and say, Yes, I am filled with the knowledge of God's will for my life. Because that's what he's praying The will of God is not some secret for a select few saints but it's a revelation that is open to all the people of God but you are the one that must discover the will of God for your life. Nobody else can tell you. They're down through the years and my mind's racing ahead of my notes here and I can think of many examples in my own Christian life where people have tried to tell me the will of God for my own life. And um, I remember one time on a particular occasion, there was something very important I was praying about and the Lord gave me the answer and a man came along and he rung me up and he said, I need to come and see you. The Lord told me you should do this and you should do that and you should do something else. And when he was finished, I said to him, well, brother, thanks very much, but I've just got one question. Why did the Lord ring the wrong number? You know, you have to search out the will of God for your own life. And as you study this prayer of Paul's, it's interesting to see that there's a sequence that takes place here. It is not a coincidence that the first request Paul makes here in his prayer for these people is that they will know the will of God. And if you're living in the centre of the will of God for your life, then every other part of your Christian life will fall into place. And that's what the Lord himself meant when he said... But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So he's saying if you seek first the kingdom of God, then you're going to seek first the will of God for your life. You see, the will of God cannot be separated from the kingdom of God. And isn't that what you find even when you come to study the Lord's Prayer? thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The two are linked. Why? Because that word kingdom simply means rule. And that is what God's will is. God desires to rule your life and mine. So if you will just conform to the will of God for your life, put him first, if you'll be led by the will of God, then he says he'll take care of all the rest. And so often we have a problem arise and we don't know how to handle it and What do we do? We run here, we run there, we go to different people for advice and some run to the neighbours and ask them what do you think some will run to parents, others will ask the minister and then finally almost out of desperation then someone will look up to heaven and say Lord now what do you think? But you know beloved the first person you should talk to should always be the Lord in prayer, he should never be last. God has to come first. And if you put the Lord first when you're seeking your advice, then you'll save a lot of bad advice. And that's why you'll find that discerning the will of God is so important. There's so many believers today and they get all excited about other things and some people get all excited about what is the date of the Lord's return and others want to know all these other different things. But you know, it would be far better for you and I this morning to know God's will for our life today than to know that the Lord is going to return tomorrow. So we need to discern the will of God. And then once you do that, you've got to do the will of God. Once the Lord comes and he shows you what his will is, then you're to do it. Now someone may ask, well, how do I discover God's will for my life? Well, the best way to learn more about the will of God for your life is to obey the will that the Lord has already revealed to you. As the Lord said in John chapter 7, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. You know, there are some people and they're not walking with the Lord today and so the Lord's not going to reveal more of his will to them tomorrow when they're not obeying what they've already got today. Partial obedience only brings partial knowledge. And let me say that it's not just enough to, to do things for God. You know, sometimes we put it back to front. We put the cart before the horse. And sometimes, you know, it, we, we think that it's what we do that pleases God. But it's when we do what he wants us to do that we please him. For example, if you look at the life of Christ, we often read about the Lord Jesus Christ going up into a mountain and praying all night. We read that in the Gospels. Now, the Lord could have done other things. The Lord could have spent the night going out and healing the sick, but that was not what the Father wanted him to do. The Lord, indeed, we read that he went out into the wilderness and spent 40 days and 40 nights alone. The Lord could have spent 40 days and 40 nights preaching the Gospel on that occasion. But as commendable as that may sound, if he had have done that, he would have been out of the will of God, because the Spirit of God, we read, led him into the wilderness. And in the same way, it would be wrong for you to go out and try and seek to win someone for the Lord if the Lord's got something else for you to do. Yes, there's many commendable things we're to do, and we're to encourage one another to do those things. But you've got to do the Lord's will. Old George Muller was a great man of faith. And he said that whenever he was considering making a decision in life, he would ask himself three questions. Number one, is it the Lord's work? Number two, is it the Lord's way? And then number three, is it the Lord's time? You see, he knew that just doing things for God is not enough But we've got to do what he wants us to do. And this is something that comes out again and again in the lives of missionaries and others we could read about. Stephen Alford was brought up in Africa as a young man. His parents were missionaries. And when he got older, he went along to university and he studied engineering. He was looking forward to his graduation day. And he said that he had his life planned out for himself. He thought that he would go back to Africa that he would work as a missionary, that he would make a lot of money, that he would have a lot of leisure time, and in his leisure time that he would be able to help and assist missionaries. And all of that sounds very, very commendable, doesn't it? But there was one thing wrong with it. He hadn't prayed and asked the Lord what was the Lord's will for his life. And then suddenly he said he took very ill. Now, he was just a young man. He was coming up to his final year in university Top student in his class, but he took seriously ill. The doctor came along to his bedside and he said this. Now remember, he's just a young man in university. And the doctor said to him, there's nothing we can do. You've got two weeks to live. Now you imagine if the doctor came along and said that to you today, especially to a young man. His father had written him a letter some weeks before, of course, not knowing the sudden illness that would come upon his son. And in the letter, his father, who was the missionary out in Africa, he wrote these words, only one life soon be passed and only what's done for Jesus will last. And Stephen Alford said that as he lay there upon his sickbed, upon what he thought was his deathbed, he said he was then a broken man. He realized that he'd been planning out his own life Yes, it sounded so commendable, supporting missionaries, doing this, doing that, but he hadn't talked to the Lord about it. And so he prayed a very, very simple prayer and it was some prayer that he prayed. He prayed this, Lord, anywhere, anytime, any cost, amen. That that was some prayer. Would you dare to pray that prayer? Lord, anywhere, anytime, any cost, amen. That's all he prayed. And you know, in the providence and in the grace of God, the Lord raised him up from his sick bed and he went on to become a preacher of the word of God. And notice in verse 9 here of Colossians 1 that the apostle did not pray that we might have the knowledge of God, but that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will. The will of God, he's saying here, should be something that should dominate our lives. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Every step we take, we should be led by the will of God, by knowing and doing the will of God should be the ordinary way of life for every believer. And by the way, that little word filled, In the original, it means to be controlled by. When a man is filled with anger, what does that mean? It means he's controlled by anger. So when a man is filled with the Spirit of God, he is controlled by the Spirit. And therefore, we are to be controlled by the will of God for our lives. Now, how is this to take place? Well, you'll find Paul goes on. As I said, there's a sequence here in this prayer. He not only prays that they would be led of God, But he also goes on there in verse 9 to pray that they would learn from God. In verse 9, Paul prays that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he goes on to pray in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's interesting that Paul did not pray for all knowledge, but he did pray for all wisdom. You see, it is one thing to understand the world around you. It's another thing to understand the world above you. And the most dangerous thing in the world is to have knowledge without wisdom. And, you know, that's the problem with the world today. You know, as we're living indeed, and this year in which we live, as we're coming to the end of 2022, you know, the problem is today the world knows many things. Yes, knowledge is increased. But the world does not know the right things. You see, knowledge knows facts, but wisdom knows God. Knowledge can explore the heavens that God made, but only wisdom can experience the God who made the heavens. And wisdom is the God-given ability to be able to handle the knowledge that you have. Charles Spurgeon said, "'Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. "'To know is not to be wise.'" Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great as the knowing fool. And you know, some of the most educated um, intellectual people in the world today, they're nothing more than educated fools. We have brilliant scientists, we have Nobel Prize winners, intellectual giants who worship at the very altar of science while rejecting the God that created them. They have knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. For as the psalmist wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and a good understanding have all they that do his commandments. And if you don't know the Lord, you don't love the Lord and you don't serve the Lord, then let me say this morning that you're very, very foolish. A spoonful of wisdom is better than a bucket full of knowledge. And in these last days, more than anything else, the child of God needs the wisdom of God. In First Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul tells us that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. You know, as this world is rapidly changing, and, and it doesn't matter what your view of prophecy is, it doesn't matter really whether you're saved or unsaved, even the most ungodly person in, in Coleraine today can see how quickly this world is changing. And as we look around us and we see things happening, from a Christian point of view, we know there's an eternal plan and purpose. There are things that are going to happen in the latter days and the groundwork's being laid for that now. But we're going to need wisdom to be able to uh, indeed determine truth from error. And where do we get that wisdom From the same place we find the will of God as where we also find the wisdom of God and that's in the word of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom out of his mouth, cometh knowledge and understanding. So here's Paul. We're thinking about the Apostle Paul. In my opinion, the greatest of all the apostles. And here he is and he's praying for this church. And he's saying, first of all, I'm praying that you'll be led of God. Secondly, he says, I'm praying that you'll learn from God. And then thirdly, if you look at verse 10, he's praying that they would be living for God. In verse 10, he goes on to pray, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, <coughs> being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So first we're to be led by the Lord, then we're to learn from the Lord and then we are to live for the Lord. And that's the order in the Christian life. First comes the learning and then comes the living. So often in the the New Testament epistles, if you study many of them, you'll find most of them are very easily broken into two. The first part is doctrinal and the second part is practical. Why? Because first comes the doctrine and then comes our duty. First, we're taught what to believe and then we see how we are to behave. Now, when we're living for the Lord, there are two things that will happen. First of all, we'll live a life that is acceptable to God. Verse 10 begins with the words, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. That, that should be a desire, a chief desire in the hearts of each one of us. To live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. You know, we're not to please self. What I want doesn't matter. We're not here to please society. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. And besides, the world's trying to pump all the advice of the day into us at the moment, aren't they? In fact, I remember reading a story about a farmer and he had a sick cow. And he remembered that some months earlier, one of his neighbours also had had a sick cow. So he phoned him up and he said, didn't you have a sick cow a few months ago? He said, I did. He said, what did you do? He said, I gave it a quart of kerosene. And he thought that was rather strange. So he went home, gave his cow a quart of kerosene. The cow died. He rung up the neighbour and he said, I thought you said you gave your cow a quart of kerosene. He said, I did. He said, well, I did that and my cow died. He said, don't worry, mine died as well. You know, the wisdom of the world. And yet the world is so quick to tell us how to live. But all that matters is living for the Lord. And if you want to walk so as to please the Lord then you know you're going to displease the devil and when you displease the devil that's going to get you into trouble. But if you make up your mind to please Christ then you'll be happier with the trouble than you would be without the trouble if you're displeasing the Lord. Old Henry Parsons Cromwell was the founder of Quaker Oats and he kept a little uh, plaque there on his desk that said if my life can always be lived so as to please him, I'll be supremely happy. I thought that was a lovely little motto for him to have on his desk. How we ought to live, so as to bring a smile to the very face of God. And if you're living a life that is acceptable to the Lord, then you'll find that you'll live a life that is fruitful. Verse 10 goes on to link that. It says, being fruitful in every good work. And again, notice the order. Biblical order is so important. First of all, our life is acceptable. And then our life becomes fruitful. You can't be fruitful if you're not living a life that is acceptable to God. And that's what the Lord was teaching in John chapter 15 when he said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And again, notice the order. There's the abiding and then there is the bearing. And the Lord Jesus Christ was indeed the most fruitful man who ever lived. He said, wished ye not that I must be about my father's business. And he also said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. And if you study the life of Christ, you'll always find that his walk with God comes before his work for God. And to me, that's one of the most important principles in the Christian life. Your walk with the Lord is far more important than any work you do for the Lord. That's why the Lord went and spent nights upon the mountain in prayer when he could have been doing many other things. Oh, how we need to be fruitful. As the last part of verse 10 says, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And notice says we're not increasing in our knowledge about God, but our knowledge of God. You know, the greatest aspect of salvation, in my opinion, is knowing the Lord. Oh, yes, the day I got saved, my sins were forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, praise God. I've got eternal life within me today. I know that if I was to die tomorrow be absent from the body and present with the Lord but the best thing is if I live for another 50 years I can know the Lord every single day and I can walk with the Lord and that's the greatest thing in the Christian life to know the Lord to be led by God to learn from God to live for God and then when you do that then you'll be laboring for the Lord if you look at verse 11 He goes on to say strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Paul says that we need to be strengthened with all might. In other words you need to be strong in the Lord. Old Billy Sunday once said if the average Christian was as strong spiritually or rather physically as he was spiritually he said the average Christian would be in the intensive care unit. Didn't have a high opinion did he of some Christians in his day. Just think about that. If your physical strength was equal to your spiritual strength this morning, would you be in intensive care? Or would you be laboring indeed for the Lord? And that means laboring in power. You know, God's work can only be done God's way. And if there's anything the church of Christ needs today, it's the power of God. To think we can do it any other way is just insulting to the Lord. Even in the Old Testament, in Zechariah, We're told not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And you'll notice in our text in verse 11 that it says we are to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. And there's the encouragement this morning. We're never limited by the power of God. We're only limited by our own faith and obedience. The Lord will give us all the power we need to do whatever he wants us to do if it's his will for us to do it. And when the Lord gives us all the power we need, we do not have all the power of God because the power of God is inexhaustible. And of course, the simplest illustration of that is in the Old Testament in 2 Kings chapter 4, there's the story about the woman with two sons and she owed a lot of money to the creditor. And the creditor was coming to take her sons away from her, put them into slavery to pay off the debt. She comes along to the prophet Elisha and indeed with the problem. And he simply says to her, is there anything in the house? And she replies that all she's got is just one cruise of oil. So he tells her to go and borrow vessels from everywhere and anywhere. Borrow as many vessels as you can. And he told her to make sure that she didn't just borrow a few, but that she borrowed many. And then when she brought all the vessels back and she laid them at the very feet of Elisha, he then told her to fill those vessels with that little cruise of oil. And she did. It was miraculous. That little cruise filled all those vessels. But the amazing thing is this, that after she filled all the vessels, we read in the Bible, Then she said to her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. When they ran out of vessels, it was only then that the oil stopped. If she had have had a million vessels, then the Lord would have filled every one of them with oil. You see, it was not that God ran out of oil, but she ran out of vessels. And isn't that the same today? The Lord is looking for vessels. He's looking for men and women that will walk with him and be filled With the very spirit of God. Laboring in power. But then it also says in verse 11. Patience. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. Unto all patience. And you know the word patience there is an interesting word. It's a reference to grace under trials. You know it refers to the ability to bear up under trouble. And then when the going gets tough. You know, the spiritually tough get going. And you know, there are some Christians who run nobly at the very start of the race. Some do well halfway. But the man who labours with patience goes on all the way to victory and to glory. And you know, we need patience in the Lord's work. And I'm preaching to myself I did a series recently there on the fruit of the spirit and when it came to this whole subject of patience I made a confession to the congregation. I'm preaching tonight upon something I know very little about when it comes to patience. Patience is a virtue, possess it if you can. What do they say? Seldom in a woman but never in a man. I think it must have been a woman that wrote that. But you know sometimes I want things done today and the Lord's not in a hurry. And I remember once reading one of the old Puritans Uh, I think it was Brooks and he was a a Puritan and one of his friends came in one day and he was in bad form and he could see it. And he said, what's wrong? He said, I'm in a hurry and God's not. And you know, sometimes that's the way we are and that's why it talks about here that we need patience. And then more than that, it goes on in verse 11 to say, and long-suffering, long-suffering. You know, you need patience when you're dealing with difficult circumstances But you know you need a lot of patience when you're dealing with difficult people. And sometimes when you go through life you'll have to deal with difficult people. It's a little bit like a man I heard of who was out in the park and he had a baby's pram and there was a little toddler in it. It wasn't a baby, it was a little bit older, it was a toddler. And the little toddler was throwing a tantrum. And the man was just standing there and he was very gently just rocking the pram backwards and forwards. And he's going, there, there, Albert. Take it easy, Albert. Stay, you know, keep calm, Albert. And the little fellow's just throwing a tantrum. And there was a woman sitting nearby and she came over and she said, I just want to say to you, sir, that it's wonderful how patient you are there with little Albert. And he goes, oh, no, no, that's Billy. I'm Albert. There, there, Albert. Take it easy, Albert. And that's what sometimes when it comes to the Lord's work, We need to pray for patience, we need to pray for long-suffering, for one another, and we need to pray that the Lord will lead us and guide us. And then lastly, as my time is gone, uh, you'll find also here when you look at verse 12, we're also to love God. Verse 12, he says, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you see how this prayer now has come full circle if you're able to keep up with us? If you're led of God, then you'll love the Lord for all that he has done for you. Why should we love the Lord? Well, we should love the Lord because of who we are. Thank God we're numbered amongst the saints. Perhaps you're saved this morning and yes, you've got trials, you've got troubles, you've got challenges in life. But in spite of the worst of circumstances, you can lift up your heart and thank God that you're numbered amongst the saints. You are redeemed. You're a child of God and you're on your way to heaven and to home. We belong to him and he belongs to us. And then we should love the Lord because of what we have in Christ. We're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All that he has is mine and I have the title deed to heaven and i have not seen nor ear heard neither have entered into the very heart of man the things which god hath prepared for them that love him and then we should love the lord because of where we're going you know one day we're going to be united with all the rest of the saints in light and that's where heaven is it's a place where there's no darkness there we're headed for a land that is fairer than day And oh, how we should be filled with a love and a praise for our Saviour. Lord willing, tonight we'll look briefly indeed at our new heavenly home. But you know, it's a wonderful thing to be filled with a love and a praise for Christ. So as you look at this passage of scripture this morning, as I said, here you've got what I think is Paul's prayer for this church at Colossae. We could say this is Paul's prayer for the church here in Coleraine. This is Paul's prayer for your Christian life and mine. And the question arises, how are you progressing in your Christian life? As we're coming to the end of the year very rapidly. Do you know the Lord better as we're coming to the end of the year than you did at the beginning of the year? Do you love the Lord more today than you did a year ago? And oh, that Paul's prayer for these believers would be indeed your prayer for this church, your prayer for yourself, that the Lord would indeed step into our lives, that we would be led of God, that we would learn from God, that we would live for God, that we would labor for God. And that the Lord would fill us with a fresh love for God. Because if we do that, then we'll go further and shine brighter for the Lord than perhaps we've ever done. May we live a life that will glorify him for Jesus' sake. Amen.